Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus Choose. The Exploration Company is the fastest growing space startup in Europe. Its 40 million euro raise represented the biggest Series A on the continent by a space tech company ever. Amazon selected it as a 2022 AWS Space Accelerator. It's only two years old. That market is going to grow very fast. Uh, we are moving from around about 5 billion-ish market per year, and it will grow up to around about 50 billion by 2040. The exploration company was founded by Elaine Ubi. It is developing a capsule, Nix, after the mythological creator of the cosmos, to carry cargo and eventually humans to space. The startup is also homing in on a long-standing criticism of the spaceflight industry, the impact of emissions. On this episode, Ubi discusses flight plans, lunar exploration, and how the company is cracking the code on sustainable fuels. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. So let's start with the exploration company. It's the fastest growing space startup in Europe. What are you doing? Correct. We are building space capsule. And uh, basically, our mission is that we bring cargo and then human to space station around the Earth. We bring cargo and human back. Then we fly again because our capsule can be reused. We are first in the world to uh, fly with green propulsion. And we are first in the world to fund such a capsule, which is a big one. It's similar than Dragon, uh, by private investment. And you just mentioned Dragon. Is that is that your direct competitor? How big is this market, do you think? That market is going to grow very fast. Uh, we are moving from around about 5 billion-ish uh, market per year, and it will grow up to around about 50 billion by 2040, if we include also moon transportation in it. So we talk about like space, in-space transportation, right? Uh, so because right now it's not anymore about access to space. Of course, this hugely important, but kind of has been solved. But now we enter an area where it's about action in space and transportation in space. And this is really all the market we focus on. So moving from around about 5 billion today to around about 50 billion, 2040. And uh, yes, SpaceX is, uh, of course, uh, a very dominant player in this market, so a direct competitor uh, on the capsule business. And uh, well, our positioning is very simple. We are based in Europe, in Germany, in France. We open in Italy in two weeks. And uh, we want to be number one in Europe. And we want to bring to the world, let's say, an alternative solution, which is uh, affordable, which is reliable, and which is launcher agnostic, meaning we can fly with Indian launcher, Japanese launcher, European launchers, of course, American launchers, which enable the countries to say, like India, hey, I want to use the service of the expression company. And then we can say to India, okay, then we're going to use your launcher. Same with Japan, same with Europe, and same with the United States. So I think this, this gives us a lot of flexibility and also a lot of buy-in in the various countries which are now interested to do more things in space. You just mentioned different com countries. Are you already working with those countries or speaking with those countries? Yes. 
Yes, we are uh, actually we are launching our first baby capsule in three months uh, from uh, India. Uh, so we're already working with India. We are currently discussing with India a technical partnership on some key technologies of the, let's say that needs to be developed to recover the capsule. Uh, we are in discussion with Japan also. Of course, in Europe, you know, this is our home country. <laughs> so we hope that we can serve very fast the European market. And with regards to the uh, United States, uh, we are very proud and happy that the private space station Axiom Space signed with us uh, some weeks ago, uh, pre-booking agreement. So they are basically buying a first mission not sooner than end of 27 which is come in a, just you know around the corner in a few years. And uh, well, we need to meet some technical guys in 25, but like if we meet these guys, they buy a full mission, which is pretty big. And for a startup, which is two years old, uh, it's quite an achievement. So you can see we're already working with Europe, United States, India, and Japan. And we have started discussions with other countries, especially Middle East, so Saudi and UAE. And I want to pick up on what you just said, which is the fact that your startup is just two years old, and before mm -hmm. this year is out, you are planning to put this first demonstration capsule in space. That's a very fast pace for a space company. Yeah, it's very fast. Actually, this baby capsule, we built it in nine months. So it's it's a record from what we know. We are already now in the building phase of the second capsule demonstrator. Um, I would love to show you some picture. Basically, we are starting the integration. So we have already manufactured everything. And that second capsule will be launched end of 24. It's a big one, like I would say 25% of the size. So not the full size, subscale. But still, we are flying with clients already, not people, but cargo. We are sold out. We have very credible clients like European Space Agency, German Space Agency. Airbus is a client too. We have private client. We are one of the leaders of the cosmetic industry flying with us. Uh, and this is happening end of 24. So first flight, January 24, like baby capsule. And second flight, uh, end of 24, this is a teenage capsule. And then we, we go for the full-size vehicle. Uh, the first two capsules basically going to help us de-risk the re-entry. So re-entering the atmosphere because this is where you have a lot of risks. And once we've mastered that, then we go for the full size. Uh, and then we're going to go to station and, and come back. Did you just say a cosmetic company? What is a cosmetic yes. company doing in space? That's a great question. <laughs> well, actually, uh, in space, in microgravity, uh, you age faster, the skin is behaving differently, and so you have the opportunity to do some research about aging to understand better how you age. And that's uh, what they are doing with us. So it's real R&D. We don't talk here about marketing. It's real R&D, and we're going to fly it will be our first mission, right? So a small mission, around about three hours, but already they're good enough so that they can observe some phenomena and then use that to improve the creams on Earth. Uh, sign me up. Sign me up based on what they find out with that experiment, with that R&D. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the capsule itself, uh, Nix, mm -hmm. because it's, it's reusable. Um, yeah. You're going to use it, as you mentioned, for cargo and then eventually for human spaceflight as well. Um, but one of the most interesting things to me is the fact that you're actually focused on the fuel as well and being and using a sustainable fuel, which we haven't actually seen with uh, spaceflight in, in this way yet. Yeah, you're 
perfectly correct. You you should join as an engineer, you know, perhaps <laughs> if you have want to change that. No, but so we are the first in the world actually to fly with a with a green fuel, a non-toxic fuel. Most of the capsule, all of the capsule today, they are using as main propulsion. Um, they are using hydrazine or derivative of hydrazine, so that's a very toxic propellant. If I caricature, basically you spread it, you die. So you need to be in scaphander when you fuel the capsule. You also need to first come with some devices when the capsule has splashed down to make sure like there is all the fuel is, is gone and uh, there is no risk of you know astronauts going out and kind of breathing um, the, the heat hydrazine. So it's very toxic, plus it's costly in terms of uh, the way it's operated because it's very toxic. And uh, since around about 10 years, there's been more and more companies working on non-toxic fuel. Uh, and we basically leverage uh, this, uh, this progress in the, in the technology. Because nowadays you have many small satellites which are using uh, hydrogen peroxide, which is something that was like known, of course, since, uh, since decades, but like never really industrialized and used at, at scale with big thrusters. So that's what we're doing. Uh, we are tapping on the innovation that has happened in the past 10 years to industrialize the hydrogen peroxide, which is now flying in many small satellites. And basically, um, we are working together with the German Space Agency um, so that we develop an ignition capability, which is very, very reliable. Uh, because you can imagine if you fly next to a station, you have to dock. You cannot miss your ignition, right? You need to be able to operate your spacecraft in a very, very precise manner. Uh, so we are tapping also on the research that has been performed in the German Space Agency, also in Poland. And uh, long story short, uh, we are developing in-house our own propulsion system. We are developing in-house our own capability to produce that fuel. So on the oxidizer side, uh, basically hydrogen peroxide that we need to purify. And then on the fuel side, we're going to use a hypergolic fuel so that ignites immediately so that we do not have any risk of non-ignition or late ignition that would then diminish, I would say, the safety of the of the capsule. So that's indeed first time in the world. So it, it, it means it has additional technical risks, but it means also if we succeed and for the time being, we are on track with our roadmap and we are, let's say the first result that we have bring a lot of confidence. If we succeed, uh, on the one hand, it's better for the environment, which is great. And on the other hand, the cost of operations are going to go down because we don't have to fuel our capsule with scaphander. We don't have to use all the sniffing mechanism when the capsule is going back. So this shall bring economies and potentially also the capacity to reuse the capsule more. So that, that's our objective. And it's very exciting actually for the team because we are really pioneering something here. That's really fascinating, especially because that has been one of the big criticisms of um, spaceflight overall is the fact that um, the fuels and how much fuels consumed um, is is so harmful for the environment and so um, and such an order of magnitude versus what we see with, for example, when you see humans fly to the edge of space versus um, plane air flight. Um, so, so it sounds like you're on the cusp of maybe perhaps cracking the code on what has been one of the biggest criticisms of this industry. Yeah, we are clearly making progress uh, for the industry. We also engage in a certification process and that we will finish actually this year, uh, just before we raised our Series B, because we want to be able to measure our carbon emission and then to reduce them 
uh, and to be certified. So that will be done by your end. Uh, but I'd like to add that basically many people think about space like, hey, this is really a very, very polluting industry. And uh, especially space exploration, which has now the image of like billionaire flying around and coming back and paying crazy money and destroying the environment to have like a few minutes of fun. Of course, this exists and this is like, but this is the very, very, very minority. And if you really realize like what space has brought in terms of new technologies, which are good for the environment, this is huge. Solar panel where invented in space, if you take the space station, all the water is recycled. So that urine is recycled. The water that gets out of our mouth when we speak is recycled. And most of the water membranes technology that are used on Earth for recycling water actually have been invented in space station. So now one of the big challenge, for example, is how do we grow sustainably and very reliable manner plants in space? Because if we go to Mars, it's a six-month trip, and you'll have no, you know, supermarkets on the way that where you can stop and you say, "Hey, I'd like to buy some salads or whatsoever." So, and you also have no cargo resupply. Currently, food is being, you know, is being brought up and down to space station. So it means you really need to have uh, agriculture in the spaceship, which is highly sustainable, so that it uses as little water and energy as possible and which is very, very reliable so that whatever happens, you still can have your plants growing and you still can eat. So all that research, for example, is feeding uh, agriculture on Earth. And I think we need to have a bit this big perspective that space is just a very, very harsh environment. So everything we develop in space is being developed for very, very harsh conditions. And it's kind of pushing the edge of our human knowledge. And because of that, it has a boomerang effect on here on Earth, on the technology that we develop. And by definition, because it was very harsh environment in space, then the technologies can be reused or reused from technology which are protecting the environment on Earth. Not mentioning, of course, all the data we collect from satellites, which are helping us to understand climate change and to fight against climate change and to detect, for example, uh, fires, forest fires, etc. So. I just want to say a few words again, this image that space is bad for the environment. And it's clear that when a rocket launches, it creates a lot of CO2. This is something we need to work on as the aviation industry is being is now currently working on how to reduce the CO2 emission of the aviation industry. So we industry, we need to work on that and we are doing our part with flying with green propulsion. But we also need to think about how space has been serving the pollution of the environment on Earth through data and through new technologies like water membranes, solar panels, etc. It's a great point, uh, and and I like this idea of that you know space is, is a harsh environment and what those applications could look like and innovations could look like back on Earth as well. Um, are you working on that? I mean, Mars colonization and what that's going to look like, and and playing your role at the exploration company. So, yes, and. No, <laughs> we are a startup, so we need to be, that's the no part. We are a startup, we need to be very focused, right? And we need to fly as fast as possible our first product, which is our low-earth orbit cargo capsule with potential to fly humans. So really the very, very first step, first product we bring, we're going to bring to the market is this low-earth orbit capsule. So in that sense, let's say Mars is far away, but like 
you can be a startup, you can be very focused, you can, of course, you start small, you go fast, but of course you have big dreams and you have big vision for the future, basically. And uh, I think our, our DNA at the Expression Company is perhaps not so much Mars or the moon or like the destination specifically or the race. I think we will reach this destination. That's just a fact. It's like when we think about 15th century, 16th century, it took one century basically to discover the what we were calling at that time, you know, the new world around the earth. And, and we did that when we as humans got the capability to build big ships that would be solid enough to cross the oceans. So there was a technical breakthrough with these big ships. And then we just started to explore and we explored. And it took around about 100 years. And I think we'll, we'll see the same in space. We are now at this turning point when we know how to build uh, spaceships that can be reused, that can be refueled. So the cost of flying in space, traveling in space, going to go down tremendously. And it will not take five years, 10 years. Like it didn't take five years, 10 years to discover the Americas and, and you know, to kind of industrialize the, the roads and, and, and the new destinations. So perhaps it will take again one century. And so that's why what we are interested about uh, at the expression company is not so much destination because that's going to happen and of course we want to be part of that and of course we want to contribute to go to mars and we want our spacecraft to go to moon first and then mars this is for sure but i think the how we go there is very very important and uh, you know in europe we have this history of wars and then this is quite unique actually <laughs> after centuries of wars somehow we've been able to live in peace and to cooperate since now more than 70 years. And we'd like to bring the spirit of cooperation in space. Space has been for years also a great place for cooperation. I think about the International Space Station, for example, and this cooperation between nations is disappearing right now because we have a rise of tensions between, of course, uh, US and China, US and Russia. And we can see that already in lower Earth orbit where we don't have the International Space Station is going to retire, and then we'll have private space station. We'll have also station from, from China, from Russia, from other countries, etc. And uh, what we see right now happening on the moon is a, basically a, confront, a confrontational race uh, between you know two big entities uh, on Earth. So I'm not a naive person, and I fully understand what is behind. But I also believe it's important that there are some companies like us which are bringing into this building of the new space world some cooperative spirit. And so as an example, we we work with uh, open source interface in our design. And as I was mentioning, we can be launched by an Indian launcher, a Japanese launcher, an American launcher. And, you know, I hope one day we can fly to a Chinese space station. Also, just for safety reasons, that's important. And I hope one day, you know, we, we can contribute to do something as important as doing a mission between American Space Station and Chinese Space Station back and forth. And um, so, I, especially at a time when on the Earth we have so many wars and uh, we have this capacity, this human capacity to build cooperation, that's really something which is part of our DNA at the Expression Company that we want to foster in space. So, yes for Mars, yes for the Moon, Again, longer term, short term, we are very, very focused on our first low Earth orbit product, our first capsule. But everything we do, we want to do it with this cooperative spirit. 
I mean, to your point, the, the, the moon and the lunar activities and the funding that's going towards that right now um, does seem like it's closer. Maybe not. Yeah. I, mean, I, I wonder what your time frame and your vision is for the exploration company's role in all of that here over the coming years and into the next decade. Okay, so for step number one, low Earth orbit. So this is happening in five years, basically. A bit less, actually. Um, so step number two, because we plan to fly end of 27, so we are end of 23, so it's around about four years. So that's step number one. Step number two, of course, is moon. Uh, here, we've already started the building of our lunar vehicle. We have started the engine, actually, that we've fired already several times. Um, and we are reusing the same Technobricks uh, to build a vehicle that can bring down mass from the gateway which is currently a hole in the Artemis architecture because you use Orion to bring people up, you use Orion to bring people down from the gateway, you use human landing system to bring people you know, up and down from the gateway to lunar surface and then back to gateway. But like, what do you do with all the samples that you've collected? Orion is not sufficient to bring that stuff down and that's one hole that we want to serve uh, with our lunar vehicle and, and we want to be ready for 2028, 2030 at, at the latest. And uh, then, of course, going to uh, the moon itself with our uh, lunar lander, which is, again, same technobricks, same engine. So we try to reuse as much as possible. So this is also around about the same time frame, 2030. And something very specific we are developing at the expression companies that our lunar engine, so the one going to gateway, the one going to lunar surface, they can be refueled. So a concept operation we have in mind is that we'll be the speedboat, we go to lunar surface, we land, and we have the big container ship, SpaceX Starship, which is there also, and we can refuel our speedboat with Starship because we are using methane and oxygen, so the same propellant as Starship. And then we can reuse our lander again and again, and we can basically hop at lunar surface and we can bring rovers and drillers um, to the various places where they need to be placed. Because our vision is that, you know, we, 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 were, we, we are at a time when you go to moon for, let's say, prestige purposes, geopolitical purposes, and scientific purposes. And so for scientific purposes, you, you have drillers and, and rovers, etc. but they are small because like you collect samples. But like, if we are serious about, hey, we want to really drill and exploit and use the water, which is at, lunar surface or helium-3, for example, so that with that, with, with that raw material, uh, we can transform it into an energy source and we can refuel, basically, vessels. Then we speak about complete different size of drillers and rovers. It's industrialization of the exploration, basically. And it's a drillers, rover, which are typically like three ton, sometimes more. And that's what we design our lander for. It's not small lander, you know, for scientific mission. It's not the huge starship. It's kind of in between where we can carry all these big drillers and rovers that will start basically to, to drill, to dig, and to industrialize the lunar exploration. And since we can refuel ourselves with, with starship, we believe this is a great value proposition for the lunar exploration. Uh, so this is what is coming. And Mars is still a little bit far away. I think we'll have, I'm sure, actually, we, 
we have to come with a complete different design because a small capsule, I mean, small is still 10 ton, but a capsule of the our lunar lander, which is around about 13 ton, uh, that kind of vehicle is too small to go to Mars. So we'll have to reinvent ourselves and to come up with a new design. Uh, so a bit for later. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by following us wherever you get your podcasts and by watching our coverage on Closing Bell Overtime. I'm Morgan Brennan. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive.